This morning we're looking at God's Word in Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6, the second commandment. It's a good time for a pop quiz, right? Uh, see, how we're, see how we're doing at uh, knowing the Ten Commandments together. So um, you say them with me. I don't think they're... If you look at Exodus 20, you kind of got a cheat sheet. You can, you know, you can, you can look at them there. But uh, we have it in a different form, so you, you won't have it this way. But let's, let's, let's see if we can do. Number one, no other, have no other gods. I got to learn them. Number two, make no idols. Number three, speak well of God and for God. Fourth commandment, remember. Yeah, we don't use the word remember now. It's keep the Sabbath day special, good. Number five, honor father and mother. Number six, commit no, do we have it? Commit no murder, all right. Seven, commit no adultery. Eight, commit no stealing. Nine, tell no lies against our neighbor. And 10, do not covet. All right, we got it now, let's go. Go again, number one, have no other gods. Two, make no Idols, three, speak well of God and for God. Four, keep the Sabbath day special. Five, honor father and mother. Six, commit no murder, commit no adultery, commit no stealing, tell no lies against our neighbor, do not covet. All right, great. Knowing the commandments are great um, guide tool for us. It's our love language. It's, it's the way we learn how to love God. And I want us to see that. We've looked at the second commandment now twice. Uh, this morning, I want to kind of wrap up uh, a part of it that I haven't uh, dealt with yet. Let me read it again. Exodus 20, beginning at verse 4. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image. Make no idols. Um, we've looked at that. Images don't love God. God says, I don't want you to do it that way. Or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above, or that's in the earth beneath, or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to, those, uh, to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So we've looked at how images don't love God. We've looked at the things that God's prescribed for us to do in His house on the Lord's Day as things that do love God. So we've seen how not to, how to love God. And then I want us to look at now what's in this text that are motivating reasons for worshiping God the way He wants. Uh, not with images, but the way He wants. What are our motivating factors? There's the story made the news that in Norway, a lady was in her prayer time, devotional time, and she was just, as she was praying, had this um, voice in her head or thought in her head that she needed to go out into her garden, backyard garden, and take a picture. And she couldn't shake the voice. So at some point, she just got up and said, okay, I'll do it. And she went back, and she took two or three pictures, you know, comes back in the house, and she's, she's looking at her, at her pictures. And she says, there's Jesus. Jesus posed for me in my garden. I now have a picture of Jesus. So it made the news, Norway woman receives picture of Jesus. You know, so I, you know, I wanted to read that, so I, I read it. Um, but the, as you read it, they showed you the image, and 
you know, you had to have errors and stuff. You had to explain it. Have you ever seen an ultrasound of a little baby that's just a few, few weeks after conception, whenever they first do those, and the mama and daddy have to explain? Well, no, the head's, no, you got it upside down. It's, it's here, you know, and you're looking at this image, and it has to be explained to you. Well, it was that kind of image. But she was convinced it was Jesus. I'm like, how do you know it's not Satan? You know, you don't know really what this is. It's something. But she was convinced. Jesus had posed for her in her garden. And, you know, anybody that saw the picture, they started holding hands and singing in the garden alone. You know, he walks with me and he talks with me and tells me I'm his own. I've made that last part up, but I thought it kicked the story up a notch. Does that picture motivate her to worship? What really motivates us to worship God the way He wants to? Because He said, I don't want you to worship me with images. I prescribed in my words ways that you can worship me, but that's not it. Well, what motivates us when we are tired and not really interested perhaps, or feeling like we should go to church and worship, what motivates us? What God put in the Bible here was not what I would have put. If you just ask me, what motivates you to worship? I, I might have put stuff like, well, God's worthy. God's glorious. You know, I'm so undeserved. I, 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 I could make a long list, I think, of reasons that motivate me to worship. But it's interesting the ones God gives us. And He gives us the first one He gives there in verse 5. says, you need to do it this way because I'm jealous. I'm a jealous God. We don't think about that perhaps as a motivating reason. And yet it, it makes perfect sense the more we study about it. Um, next He says, I visit iniquity. In other words... If you don't worship me, you're sinning. And sin has consequences. I visit those who sin. Third, um, he talked about children suffer to the third and fourth generation. Does that not motivate you? You realize children will suffer based on your obedience? And then the fourth one that he gives us in this text is he makes this distinction between those who love him and who are doing it right and those who do not love him, don't keep his commandments, those who are doing it wrong. And he basically is, is saying, I reward obedience. So why should you love God and worship God the way he wants to be loved? Let's look at these four reasons. First of all, because God is a jealous God. Verse 5 says, I, I, I the Lord, your God, am a Jealous God. Jealousy, we're going to look at it in my discipleship this morning as we look at the Song of Solomon. Um, going through the, the Bible book by book. And Song of Solomon's this morning. It's a great book. But it talks about jealousy. Jealousy is a, an exclusive right husbands and wives share. I have an exclusive right to my wife. My wife has an exclusive right to me. You get that exclusive right to your, your spouse in marriage. 
No one has the freedom or privilege or opportunity to break that marriage bond. We get into that when we get into the seventh commandment, don't commit adultery. So if someone were to inappropriately deal with my wife, I would be jealous. No, 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 you don't have that right. You don't have that privilege. She's mine. And the same way, her for me. If there's a righteous jealousy. And a righteous jealousy is the, the, the right, the privilege to, to possess, to own, to have right to what is yours, lawfully yours. And God says, you, because I have redeemed you, you're rightfully mine. And if you go loving someone else instead of loving me, I'm jealous. Because it's an exclusive relationship. I'm your only redeemer. I am the Lord your God. You don't have another. So, if you don't worship me as I ask, I'm jealous. That means you're doing something with something else somewhere else. Oh. You know, we didn't think about that, perhaps. We're in this relationship with God where it makes sense. He's loving us always. It makes sense that we're loving Him. And He's jealous for that. But think about the, the ramifications of that. God, as you wake up on Sunday morning, God's saying, I want you. I want you. I want you. You're mine. I'm jealous for our time together. I'm jealous to see you enter into the courts of the Lord and to sing my praise. Motivating reasons for worshiping God. God has prescribed ways to worship, and He's jealous for that. Look at Exodus 34, verses 12 through 14. Just a few chapters over. Exodus 34. 12 through 14, it says, Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. God says, I take this as... Is, is a description of who I am. That I'm a jealous God. You could call me jealous. Probably none of us have prayed. Dear jealous. But God says that's, that's my name. To remind us. You see it's a motivating reason. To remind us. He wants us. He wants us in, in an exclusive relationship. Loyal to Him and to Him alone. Uh, so evaluate your worship. What, what would provoke God to jealousy? If you just ignored him, would, yeah, he'd be jealous. If you didn't show up, he'd be jealous. If you show up but worship something else other than God, some image, some style, some preference that... It's so easy for us to do. God says, I'm jealous. I thought it was going to be you and me. I thought it was going to be us. I thought it was going to be exclusive. I thought it was going to be a time of love 
with one another. That's what God wants. God views us as His spouse. Christ says, I am wed to my church. She's my bride. And I'm jealous for her. And I want to be with her. And I want to see her. Motivating reasons for worship. That's God's number one. Second is because sin has consequences. He says, I will visit the iniquity. Um, when we don't worship God rightly, He views it as sin. And sin needs to be visited in some way. I remember when I was in grade school, uh, my teacher said, young man, you better straighten up or you're going to visit the principal's office. I didn't have to do that but one time to figure out that was not a pleasant visit. You know, so when God says He's visiting, He's not saying this is pleasant. In other words, there are consequences to your actions. And if you don't worship me as I want, there will be consequences um, for anything that we do. It comes packaged. Look at Psalm 89, 30 through 34. Here's a good example. Psalm 89. Beginning at verse 30. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant. Or alter the word that went forth from my lips. What a, a great passage of God's discipline. God's chasing us. He makes it very clear. He says, I'm not going to stop loving you. I'm not going to break my covenant with you. I'm not going to be unfaithful to you. But if you sin, you need a whipping. It's basically what he says. I'm coming, they're going to punish transgression with the rod and iniquity with stripes. We need chastening. We need discipline. We need to be brought back on task. So if we don't worship God rightly, if we start inventing our own ways of worshiping God or we just ignore the worship of God, God says, there's consequences. It's not pleasant. I still love you. You're not going to hell for it. I'm still going to be faithful to my covenant with you. But we need a loving relationship, and you're not doing that. You're not, you're not being responsible and loving me the way I've asked. And so God says, I, I, I've got to come, and I've got to straighten this up so that um, you get it. That's why we read when we take the Lord's Supper, it says... Some of you who do not examine yourself to see whether or not you take the meal rightly. Since some of you are weak. And some of you are sick. And some of you have died. There's consequences to playing with God. I sometimes tell you when we take the Lord's Supper, when we sing songs, I say, don't play with God. Don't play. This is not play time. This is worship time. Worship God rightly. He want, he's jealous for it. He wants it to be a serious, intimate love language between us. 
And so he's going to discipline us. Sometimes we get disciplined with weakness and sickness and um, death. He's not disciplining us with hell. That's the good news. But he's wanting us to see that sin is serious. That he's a holy God. We can't approach a holy God while playing with sin. We've got to be serious to approach righteousness as righteously as we can responsibly be. Second reason. So because God's jealous, because sin has consequences. Number three, because children suffer. Wow, this is something our culture doesn't embrace. And, and you, you don't hear it talked about. But, but God says here uh, in the Exodus 20, he says, and not only do I visit iniquity, the iniquity of the fathers, so the fathers are the ones sinning here, on the children to the third and fourth generation, to those who hate me. So you're, you, you're not loving me, you're hating me when you don't do it right, dads. And when you don't do it right, dads, your children suffer to the third and fourth generation. Um, when you read 1 Kings, uh, let me give you an example. Look at 1 Kings 14, 7 through 10. Here's the, the story of Jeroboam. Um, and Jeroboam was the king after David, Solomon, Jeroboam. Solomon turns over the kingdom to Jeroboam. It splits between Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Jeroboam was not of the line of David and gets the kingdom. And that's what we're talking about here. But notice what he does with it. 1 Kings 14 verse 7 says, For tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel, and I tore the kingdom away from the house of David, and I gave it to you. And yet you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in my eyes. So you see God describing his commands. It's, it's, this is my way of doing things. This is my love language. But you have done evil above all who were before you and have done gone and made for yourself other gods and metal images. So breaking the second commandment. Provoking me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon, and catch the phrase, the house of Jeroboam. He's not just bringing a chastening on Jeroboam the father, but on his whole house. And as you continue to read through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, it talks about, and they were son of, you know, every generation, son of Jeroboam who made Israel to sin. And it keeps coming up. Son of Jeroboam who made Israel to sin. And it shows you how his sin is passed down from generation to generation to generation. And we sometimes forget the impact we have on our kids and then on our children's children and children's children. So that's the negative. Let's look at it positively as well. Look at Psalm 112, first couple of verses. Psalm 112, here's the positive side. Psalm 112. One of my favorite psalms um, because it, it deals with covenant family. We talked about it in the discipleship class a few weeks ago, this psalm, how it's the value of having a covenant family and how to raise your kids and your family to be covenant keepers and to experience all the blessings of being a family of God. 
and to get out of this individualism kind of culture that we're in. Well, you see it here. Psalm 112. Let me read a few verses. Praise the Lord. Bless the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Catch that. So you've got a dad here being described who is a delightful commandment keeper. Okay? He's blessed because he's fearing God. First command. Second command. He's greatly delighting in all of God's commands. No, no, it's the result of that. Verse 2. His offspring, so his children, will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. So it goes on down. Are you, are you a delightful commandment keeper, mom and dad? Because delightful commandment keeper parents who are delightful commandment keepers, it impacts your children and your children's children. To make it real simple, pick any sin, really. Let's pick murder. How's that? You kill somebody. Maybe just hit them in the car. And now you're accused of Reckless driving, you've killed somebody. He said, well, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I wasn't hurting anybody but, but myself, maybe. But that, pick a different one. Say you steal. Say you commit adultery. I wasn't hurting anybody but myself. I, you know, my intent was not to hurt my family at all. It's just me out there by myself. Is your family affected? Yeah. Whatever that sin, it's a civil disobedience. You've, you've broken the law. You get accused. You go to jail. Now, whoever you left behind at home, they have to do life without you. So your income's missing. Did that affect them? Yes. The reputation they had as a family now is gone. Now they have to live life with a different reputation. Their dad or their mom's a, a thief, a murderer, an adulterer. And they have that reputation they have to live with. And it, it passes on from that generation to the next and the next. See, there are consequences to how we behave. If you go the other way, and you're a parent who is a delightful commandment keeper, what, what are y'all doing today? Y'all want to go to the lake? Well, mom and dad always takes us to church on Sunday. Oh, okay. You see, well, why do they do that? They just love Jesus. You ought to see them. See how they sing. See how they give. See how they're devoted. See, it's not something that is done in a grudging way. It's something that is a delight. Delights in my commands. And your kids pick up on it. And they begin to see there's a foundation under them. There's an absolute standard that's the law of God under them. And they're not swaying to and fro, wondering what's right. Maybe it's just what I decide. They're not that way at all. And it impacts them. It impacts their children. Well, this is what we used to do when we were kids. And it's passed on. And God says, that's the way I want it to be. I want to impact whole households. God says, so when we think about our behavior... Think about our behavior as it's never just about us. It's about us and our 
children and children's children. It's about our whole household that there's an impact. Now, probably there's a couple passages in Scripture, and I'll probably just point them out to you and show them to you just so that you see they don't conflict with what I just said. But 2 Chronicles 25.4 is one of them. I'll just show it to you real quick. 2 Chronicles 25.4. So that you don't have the yeah but kind of thing. Second Chronicles 25.4 says. But he did not put their children to death. According to what is written in the law. In the book of Moses. We were just reading that. Talking about that. Where the Lord commanded. Fathers shall not die because of their children. Nor children die because of their fathers. But each one shall die for his own sin. So you have it there. And you have it also in Ezekiel 18.20. But what it's talking about there. Is just the ultimate death. Our kids don't go to hell because of us. They go to hell because of their own sin, if they go to hell. We all are condemned to hell for our own sin, not for our parents' sin. So the commandment's talking about uh, the impact of our behavior on our household. And it doesn't lead them to hell, but they do suffer the consequences we suffer. There are consequences for sin. That's the way God's designed life, and that those consequences bring us back in line. It's God's way of chasing us to, to live responsibly. So just understand the consequences. They don't drive people to sin to hell. We all must escape hell through trusting Christ as our Lord and Savior, believing in Him. Our sin, all of sin, and fall short of the glory of God. We, 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 we can't turn around and say, well, Dad, Daddy made me do it, or Mama made me do it. What daddy and mama did has consequences, and it's impacted me. But I still must believe in Christ myself and trust him for my salvation. So we can't blame dad and mom for, for keeping me from, from Christ. And then the fourth reason. So you got four reasons. Um, because God's jealous, because sin has consequences, because children suffer, and because God rewards obedience. Uh, down in Exodus 20, verse 5 and 6, he says, you know, the people who keep my commands, they, they, uh, they love me. And I want to distinguish between those who love me and those who don't love me, those who hate me, by not keeping my commands. It's just God's way of saying, I want to reinforce the positive. I want to reinforce obedience. I want to reinforce love. And I do that through rewards. We saw it in Psalm 112. Blessed. You will be blessed if you're a delightful commandment keeper. You will be blessed, God says. And your children will be blessed. There will be rewards. Uh, look at it, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6. God describes himself as a God who likes to give rewards here. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Whoever would draw near to God must believe, first, that He exists, and second, that He rewards those who seek Him. God loves to reward us. He rewards obedient behavior. He commands us to believe. He commands us to seek Him. He says, I, and I will reward that. He commands us the Ten Commandments, and He promises to reward that as well. Um, the, the commandments are an absolute standard. God wants to reinforce it by constantly rewarding those who keep it and to constantly be 
uh, blessing us. If without consequences, no motivation. If you can do whatever you want, if there's no absolute standard, if everything's relative, just do what you want. You know, it doesn't matter. There's no motivation. Why should I do it? What you want to do, not what I want to do. There's no motivation that pushes me. But if there is an absolute standard, there is. It's the Ten Commandments. God says, and if I reward those who keep, and I chasten those who don't keep, there's motivation to keep the, to keep the commands, to keep the standard. Not to earn salvation, but to love God. Just be in love with God the way He wants to be loved, not the way we want to love well, suppose you wake up on Sunday morning. If you're like me, I, I usually wake up on my back. I'm sitting there asleep. Wake up. I got one of these cool alarm clocks that has the laser pointer points to the ceiling. Has anybody else got that? So I know what time it is by looking at the ceiling. So I look up. I say, oh, it's time to get up. Man, I, I feel tired. I feel like I probably should sleep a little longer, God. I'm tired. What did I do this weekend? Man, I'm tired. I don't really feel like I don't feel like going to church this morning. You ever been there? I'm just tired. Why should I go? Shouldn't I just Sleep a little longer, maybe, maybe just get some rest. Wouldn't I be a better person to, to live with if, if I did that? And then you start maybe reviewing the commandments that you're memorizing and learning. And the first commandment, no other gods. God, God, I, I want you to know, even though I'm thinking about staying home, you're my one and only. You're, you're my true love. Okay, first commandment. You get to the second commandment, and God says, Really? I want you. I am jealous for our time together. I can't wait to see you enter the courts of the Lord. To join with my bride, the church, and to offer up praise. I can't wait for us to sing and dance together in my house. Say, oh, kicks it up a notch. That changes things. And, you know, staying away has consequences. You know I'll have to chasten you for that, right? And you know your kids will suffer because now they don't know that there's absolute standards anymore. You're treating them like take them or leave them. And that will impact them and their children. And it just goes on and on until you come back. And coming back is not something to, to, to begrudge because I'm going to reward you. I'm going to bless you. Our time together becomes so rich. It's worth it to me to keep encouraging you and rewarding you with whatever you need. You know, it, it looks like we would get this, that our God has designed life with consequences, 
And those consequences themselves prove to be great motivating factors for how we should live. Now, you tell our little toddlers really early on, if you've got a little sweaty finger, you know, especially if you've got a sweaty finger, do not stick it in the power outlet, right? There are consequences. If you haven't learned to swim, don't jump in deep water. There are consequences. If you've got a really fast car, don't drive excessive speeds, especially on curvy roads. You know, there are consequences. If you're thinking about hunting season and shooting, don't ever shoot when you don't know what's behind your target. There are consequences. Don't eat and drink excessively. There are consequences. We all know this. Why would it be a stretch for us to say, and don't neglect to worship God the way He wants? There are consequences. And they're great and rich blessings. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It's so easy for us to ignore it, to lay it down, to think, well, just this once for me or whatever, it doesn't matter. And yet, Father, our relationship with you matters. We stand just aghast. It's unbelievable to us that you want us, that you are jealous for us and a relationship with us. Thank you for that kind of passionate love, that covenant bond that you've created with us. Forgive us for ignoring it, for laying it aside, treating it in a trivial way. May we become a people that more and more are passionate for you, that run hard after you. May we see you want us. May we see the blessed impact that will have on our children and our children's children. Father, thank you for the rich rewards that you grant us as your people so that the whole world can see there's a distinguishing benefit to being believers of Christ. Father, we worship and adore you. We seek to do it according to your desires. Thank you for the second commandment that directs us this day. We ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.